The Pro Video Coalition podcast is brought to you by FilmTools.com. Since 1996, FilmTools has been Hollywood's one-stop shop for all things production. No matter your filmmaking needs, FilmTools has you covered when you need gear for your next shoot. This week, FilmTools is offering Pro Video Coalition podcast listeners 5% off qualifying purchases when shopping on FilmTools.com. All you have to do is enter code PVCPOD at checkout. That's P-V-C-P-O-D at checkout to get 5% off your purchases on FilmTools.com. So whether you need a new stinger, a cart, or a Lassie hard drive, make sure to head over to FilmTools.com and use code PVCPOD at checkout to get 5% off your next equipment purchases. Hello again, and welcome to what is the uh, second in our weekly-ish Pro Video Coalition uh, sort of news podcast, trying to look at the week behind us in film, video, and just all that weird stuff in our in our space. I'm uh, Scott Simmons, creator of the Edit Blog and managing editor, editor of PVC, and I've got the uh, legendary Gary Adcock on the other end of the line, who had some good articles for us last week. Gary's in Chicago. Gary, how's, how's life? Thanks, Scott. Fun to be here. Always good to play and talk talk technology with friends. Well, I want to address first. Uh, we had a couple of questions from our uh, the first sort of quote. I don't want to call these episodes, but I guess they're episodes from last week when we said this. We're going to try to, to do this as a weekly ish podcast. And I had someone, two people, ask, "What does weekly ish mean?" And the idea would be that we can try to do it weekly and catch up on the week's news and stuff, but. Being that uh, Gary and myself and most all, well, in fact, all the writers on PVC are working professionals first, setting a specific time each week to record is quite impossible. So we are trying to uh, hit this, keep it under an hour near the latter part of the week. And um, we will see how this goes with everyone's schedule. It just so happened Gary and I were able to coordinate our schedules. And uh, that's why we're chatting right now. And we're going to start the chat off. Gary, you went to Cinegear Atlanta, which was last weekend, October 4th Correct. and 5th. Yeah. Tell, give us a um, – how was it? You know, it's an interesting show. It's only in its second year, so it's still evolving as um, an industry-leading environment. I mean, everybody likes Cinegear in L.A. It's the show that, that – I mean, Red dropped out of NAB to have – a booth at Cinegear because they think it's more involved, more in line with what their business philosophy and where their cameras work and everything else. And do you agree Cinegear with that? Cinegear is one of these shows for. Do you think? I, I actually do. I, I actually do. And 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 I was. And that's the interesting part about this is for the people who haven't ever been to Cinegear, it's held in the back lot for the last few years. It's been at Paramount Studios, so you get to walk through the New York streets and the Chicago streets and you know the back alleys and things and and see a different part of the filmmaking process. But in front of those those, those storefronts and and buildings are actually all the manufacturers that you use in production. And it's cars and cranes and, and vehicles yeah. and lights and, and, and the rag vendors and the power guys. And, you know, and here, here are the pursuit vehicles and the drones and, and then every lens manufacturer, every camera manufacturer, most of the post houses, uh, not post houses, but post um, uh, working companies, you know, AJA, Blackmagic. Yeah. Um, those guys are it all looks there. just you know, fun, you know, when you see the pictures coming from the back lot and all the people it, set up. I I love Cinegear because it's a whole bunch of people to get together with the same kind of attitude. You hang out in the sun in L.A. And it's I, I, I've always enjoyed Cinegear. Um, I've been going for a very long time. Um, 
in the course that I've been going. It's been in the burned out Universal lot right after the fire that year. Oh, it was yeah. 120, de- 120 degrees in the shade. Wow. You know, actual temperature. I was like 118, yeah. I think it was. And there. our, uh, our um, friends at Film Tools have a uh, presence in a booth at Cinegear oh, always. LA. Oh, yeah. 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 In LA. Yeah. But not, 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 in, not in Atlanta yet. Well, what's the size and of the Atlanta? Is it, is it, it's not this big, it's obviously, it's, I don't think, but it's oh, it growing? Oh, no, no. It's, it, it's growing. Um, is it a it, third the size, it, it, a quarter of the size? What do you it's think? about a quarter of the size. It's about a quarter of the size of the L.A. Um, inventory um, in people and just volume and everything else. But because it's centered around this year around um, the what used what will soon be not called Pinewood Studios because Pinewood has pulled out of that project. But there's a production fil- facility that they built 20 miles south southwest of Atlanta. I mean, a lot of the vendors actually stay at the Atlanta airport. It's so close to drive. It's like a 20-minute, 15-minute drive. It's actually shorter than their drive home for many of the people coming from the coast. And it's uh, it, last year it was a single building in an outdoor um, presentation area where all the you know the Cine moves and and Chapman Leonard and the the, the crane and the car and mm-hmm. people are. And then there's there was two inside buildings um, this year as opposed to one last year. And then a separate seminar room that was not separated by a two-lane highway as it was last year. So it was while it it didn't seem like it was as large. It was physically it was actually physically larger than the venue last year. That's that's good. And it's, it's put growth. on by the same. Yeah, it's, and it's put on by the same people who do the Cinegear LA presentation. So it's nice to be able to see the same people and understand the same things and and, and get them. But it's also about the support of the community. And, and because George is still relatively young in the aspects of being a film production location, um, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the attendees are in the first, you know, five to ten years of their career. Yeah. But there's also a lot of students and there's a lot of people there wanting to learn. And, and that changes the, nest, the necessary aspect of the show because it's not the seasoned professionals that you get in, in L.A. Right. It's the people who are trying to learn more and gain more knowledge. I loved your advice in your, in your wrap-up of it sort of to the, 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 uh, the people who put it on that you, know, you maybe could morph this into something quite educational if you kind of embrace that group, you know, the youngsters that are, that are coming to it. Well, I mean, I mean, we all kind of marry the products we start with um, you know, I, I was a Canon lens guy, a Canon still guy back in the film era and, and never embraced Canon's DSLR movement, even though I still have a lot of Canon lenses from the period. And it's one of those things that, that because I've always been a Canon guy, I've always been kind of biased towards that. And that's because that's what I learned on. And, and that's the interesting thing for the manufacturers and the people that go there is, is that you can win people's hearts and minds by helping them do what they do and help them build their careers mm-hmm. with knowledge, with information, with the technology that you can have. I mean, I had a real set into a, a real interesting discussion with the guys from C who had a booth in Atlanta as they were talking to young filmmakers about data handling and processing and everything else. And it's and it's important for the manufacturers to understand that that is is the future of filmmaking. It's the growing marketplace. It's where people need to think about the next generation of filmmakers is coming from. Hmm. Did um, not did. But I think that I was going to ask you who you, you, you see a show like this, and you expect it to be all the usual suspects. But who was not at Cinegear Atlanta? 
that you might expect to have been there, or that there was there was an LA but didn't come to Atlanta. There was a couple. There was a couple that weren't there. Um, Black Magic, Adobe, um, Sony didn't have booths. Oh wow! I would expect it. Which Sony is really Black, interesting. I mean, Black Magic seems to be everywhere, so that's a little bit of a surprise. Well, I mean, they, I mean they they're doing their own. Shows. They're doing their, Black Magic's doing their own tour, so I can understand, kind of understand that outside of the LA market. But Sony, on the other hand, I mean, every other camera manufacturer except Red was there. So to not have Sony there and not showing Sony DSLRs yeah. and the FX9, that was actually relegated to a couple of other booths. Um, a band pro who's a Sony dealer that's based in LA, we actually had a booth there and was showing uh, one of the brand new Sony FX9 cameras. So that was kind of interesting. You see those kinds of things mm-hmm. and how it transitions. Did Sony have any, that, think, any reps in their booth or was it all band pro folks? There were Sony reps around. I actually talked to a couple of people that I knew, met a new guy that I hadn't met before who's part of the new Cine Alta conversion um, at Sony, where they combined the high-end still group with the high-end with the cinema group. So there's now this convergence across many of the Sony lines for people that, that work with their assorted products to produce video. Gotcha. What, one of um, the interesting things, though, was uh, now one of the interesting things that I saw was actually is the seminars. Um, they only had one seminar room, which which was set for probably about 100, 120 people or okay. so. And I think they need to think about moving that and make smaller sessions so that there could be more of them. Hmm. Um, one of the ones I sat in was was uh, the business of women in film. I forgot exactly what the title is. It was in the article, but it was about women and minorities and how they have to uh, work in modern production. And I'm an old white guy, okay. I've been I, I, I'm been adamant about having um, a unified crew. I mean, I have women. I shop with women DPs. I have women on my crew. I think it's the way you have to be because that's the way I was taught. Mm-hmm. But it was real interesting for me as a filmmaker to see some of the people that are involved in that on the other side and some of the trials and tribulations they've gone to, and and it, it was a revelatory for me to be able to think that I'm one of those people who has helped build the market and I still don't know how many people are suffering because of, of you know, inherent bias in our industry. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that, was, that was actually a very, very educational seminar for me, even though it, you know, I'm not a woman in film and I'm not a minority, but it, was, it showed me some of the things that I need to look out for and how I need to present things yeah. to get more diverse crews, to get more of uh, people that, that show the society as a whole as part of my crew and it was a very informative session i really liked it i think that's what's nice uh when you come when you come to a an event like that and you're able to come away you know especially if you've been in the biz for a long time to come away with something that that sticks with you then i think that's always a successful uh successful event um changing topics and speaking of sticking with how about deluxe filing for bankruptcy i guess that is not sticking with that is the opposite of (laughs) sticking with is that i mean deluxe i don't know a ton about it other than that's such a big name i i is that was that shocking to people i think it was shocking to some people it it, it was shocking to a lot of people they've been um they've been having issues lately and and a lot of this came from you know the funding changes that required them to move into infrastructure for you know, going from film-based workflows to digital workflows, you know, and the infrastructure that goes into high bandwidth, you know, 
HDR, 8K, you know, 4K deliverables for Netflix. Everything is 4K deliverables for Netflix, and you run into the issues of oh, how much it actually costs to be able to build the suites to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you start talking about $100,000 projection systems or $50,000, $60,000 monitors, and that kind of biases the the post production workflow to be able to maintain the quality needed for higher end production. Yeah, and, well, and Deluxe was carrying a lot of bandwidth on that. I think a lot of people think about just on the post-production side of things, it's not super expensive to outfit a good editing system with a relatively affordable, uh, you know, HDR monitor. You know, I'm not talking the, the high-end Flanders and the Sonys of the world, but some of the, you know, computer monitors that people will set up and say, hey, I've got a 4K HDR-capable edit suite here, but it's so beyond that when you're getting out of that sort of small spectrum, not spectrum, but like that well, small post-room you can actually, build. That actually brings up a real interesting comment because people don't realize that some of these um, consumer grade displays that they're trying to do HDR in their edit suite, they have no way of sending the HDR metadata to tell the to tell the display to actually be that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time they they're they're working on these consumer grade sets, and if they're not using the proper proper if they're not using the proper protocols for the I/O to that display. That display is not going to show HDR. It's going to give you a 709, and you're thinking you're getting this great grade, and what you're getting is 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 you know a standard dynamic range grade that you think is HDR, and it's not. Ah, interesting. Well, that's where uh, an engineer can come into play to helping you actually build out a suite like that, so you can be guaranteed you're looking at what you think you're looking at. Um, right. Well, and and it's a, and it's just an issue because people think that the other issue that gets up in in the low end suites is people grab the wrong cable or think that the cables are yeah. are going to any HDMI cable is going to work and it doesn't. You have to use very specific cables, and that and they're relatively short. Two meters, six feet is roughly a long HDMI 2.0 cable in a broadcast level environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas HDSDI, you can run for you know hundreds of feet. So there's um, issues like that too that people don't even think about. You know, Deluxe, the bankruptcy thing makes me think of a lot of the uh, effects houses that have filed for bankruptcy over the last few years. But Deluxe isn't, I mean, do they do, you know, the kind of visual effects that a, um, you know, name any of them that have closed up does? Or are they more right. just in the in the high-end post and finishing world? Uh, post houses like Deluxe were doing all kinds of things. I mean, their bread and butter is television. So, th so I mean, they, they were affected finishing by... Finishing for television, yeah. But they're affected by a different thing than the visual effects houses that that you know that are working on the razor thin margins and working people you know like a like a slave shop. So they're kind of different world, but probably some of the same stuff. Because I'm I'm sure that you know the margins in that in that in that business that high end finishing TV business is not huge either. I wouldn't think. Oh no! Oh no! You you, you I've watched the rental houses get beat down by production companies for you know rental rates for gear for you know a three month production and how. How they're skimming down to the very bottom, and it's you know it's one percent on the cables and the expendables is where they make most of their profit, and that's that's an issue in any of our environments. I mean, we all live on razor thin margins. We try to do as much as we can, but we all living you know not quite paycheck to paycheck, but yeah. job to job in a lot of environments, particularly for small post houses. Well, when you're I mean, working, you and I've on... both done this. Yeah. <laughs> you're working on a thin margin, but you've got big overhead and you got payroll and, uh, you know, you're a thin margin when you're you know, a freelancer. That's a whole different kind of thin margin. But I, I, I don't envy the people trying to make those um, business models work in this uh, in this day and age. But, you know, it was 
sad to see because it just because it's such a such a known name and a known brand in the in the industry that yeah anytime you see someone go bankrupt it's not not a happy time i mean color by deluxe has been something that's like that that that's yeah. what brought color to television. They, yeah. I mean, that was originally a moniker on films. Color by Deluxe opened the screens. You know, it was up there with Fox Studios and Universal yep. and whatever the, the, the facility production, the production company or, or studio was, was, you know, Color by Deluxe because they're one of the founding people of doing color television. That's right. That's right. You know, we, we wouldn't, hey, The Wizard of Oz is Color by Deluxe, you know. <laughs> time, uh, time marching on. Uh, and speaking of oh, yeah. in the business world, we saw where Frame.io uh, named Michael Cioni and onto their staff as one of their senior VPs. That was kind of a... I mean, he was at um, he was at uh, Panavision after he was doing the same kind of thing at Panavision, doing you know, because he was driving when, when they brought when Panavision bought Lightiron to unify their production and data handling workflows to make it easier to be able to do that. That was a that was a big leap. Yeah, and and you got to remember that that there's a couple of guys there. He came out of a he was a Columbia College guy so he came through chicago and i've known michael for a very long time hey, i love hearing um, him talk and then he's, they had a, he's so well spoken and it's so well thought out when you hear him doing seminars and speaking on topics he's really enjoyable oh, yeah. to listen to it's I, I get jealous because i'm I, I everyone thinks i'm a good speaker and i i look at other people and just uh, and admire how they communicate yeah. to the crowd but but i mean you know you look at um he started a company called plaster city mm-hmm was a post house in LA. It was like one the, of the first, first red the, places. Yeah. The first red post house. And then somebody else from there, Steve bears is actually uh, heading post-production at HBO at uh, HBO. So it's like, you see how people spread out from the original groups and where they come from and where they've gone. And you, you see that the people who start on these fundamental changes in the industry have still continued to stay there. Yeah. And the initiative that frame IO is, is, you know, cloud-based tools. It's, it's pushing this information to be able to do cloud editing and, and handle some of the things that we're used to cross-platform in a new and experimental way. Well, it tells you that they are, uh, if you didn't already figure this out, they are way beyond just you know, review and approval type of stuff. There's so much more to their their future than just, and they have fantastic review and approval tools, and that's you know was where it began. But, man, they've really done a great job of saying, let's, oh, let's branch I, beyond this one little own. thing. Yeah, I've used Frame.io stuff since it came out and use it on client on a client by client basis and and love it for that reason. You know, you dive in, you pay your pay your fee, whether you pay for a year or pay for a few months. It allows you to do, you know, real actively edit and monitor the corrections the clients put in with time based links in them. So now you can't have a client argue with you that they didn't make an adjustment because it's like it's printed on the website. You can see when they were there. Yeah. And it's a very interesting way to think about it from a client control way, um, particularly with industrial clients who like to make a lot of changes. I had, oh, yeah. a, I had a project I worked on with a, a client who think they could change everything. And then you like, go back and went, well, you know, we here in the contract, it says you get pay, you pay X for every change. And here's the list is lists of change after that day. And you go, here's the printout. And it became an interesting <laughs> way to, to combat overruns with clients. Well, on the flip side of that, uh, I will go the opposite, say that sometimes it empowers clients to make more notes than they might have made otherwise if they were typing it into an email because it makes it so easy. But I, I would still rather, I would prefer that 
from review and approval over emails because I'd rather have them be more accurate, more to the to the frame, and be able to see yeah. some lot more stuff in in context. But I think I mean you mentioned um, you know uh, cloud based stuff, but uh, let's speculate on what what you know what's Frame.io got going in the back end there that they're that they're going to be rolling out beyond review and approval. I mean cloud you know I, we're not talking bebop cloud-based editing but maybe we are maybe they've got something uh, maybe you are and 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 i mean come on they already have pretty much a real-time approval system they've got the infrastructure to be able to handle the data flows mm -hmm. um they've got their own settings and and now you can do it in resolve premiere final cut um at avid you know so all of the applications you know after effects all those applications are now interfaced with with frame io so why not in you know take it to the next level and control that. It's yeah. all hypothetical though. I don't have any idea. I, I don't either, but I'll tell you, uh, when you hear some of Michael's talks before, he definitely is thinking, you know, he's future thinking. And um, I'm sure that they love some of those future thinking ideas that, that he has. And I'm sure he'll, uh, and the whole team there will come up with lots more very future forward ideas now that they have, um, you know, just sitting around powwowing at the, at the uh, coffee table over some nice, uh, some nice single mall. So we'll see what happens. We'll, um, yeah. well, and, and, and think about it from the other side. I mean, they're, they're using a cloud-based proxy workflow. Yeah. So, so you're literally thinking about how it's a proxy-based workflow in the cloud because you're generating the files and do that. Now think about handling that as, as an environment. Cause if you've ever, you know, I've, I've done my corrections on an iPad, set in a bar one night at dinner, going through things and marking up, uh, files on an iPad while I'm sitting somewhere working on location. That's yeah. kind of amazing when you think about the ability to control that and, and the addition of Photoshop Illustrator files and, and you know you can do print files and all kinds of other things in there. I mean, you expand that out to an entire marketplace that they hadn't even been thinking about. Yeah, totally. What I, and I think as the uh, as bandwidth continues to get get faster and better and cheaper, that just and that's what that I remember you know Emory saying back in the days when they started up that things are going to get as bandwidth becomes cheaper and faster, you know, the, the cloud, the, you know, the sky's the limit, the cloud's the limit, if, to use a cliche. And I think we're absolutely yeah. seeing that as, uh, as we've uh, moved on. Um, don't, 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 uh, don't think about it as, as, as the bandwidth gets better. Think about the compression gets better. Oh, well, yeah. the better we compress the files, and you start thinking about H.264 versus H.265, and whereas H.265, HEVC is natively 10 bits, Whereas doing H.264 and 10-bit, nothing ever saw it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, it's an interesting way to think about that is, is that as the compression gets better, we'll have the ability to do more and more. That's cool. Um, speaking of compressing, having to download things, what about uh, how many machines did you update to Catalina? Zero. Mac OS 10.15, 10.15. None, none at all. I, 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 have, I have no machine running Catalina right now. Um, I, I'm planning on doing one of my backup machines next week, um, just because my schedule is such this week that I didn't have a chance to upload it. And I, and I was kind of afraid of the beta when I pop in things into it and it says, oh, these applications, these files are not going to be able to be seen <laughs> on your, in this operating system. And it warns you up front that which yeah. apps aren't going to do that. So when you start to, when you download it and you start to install it, it says, hey, these six applications aren't going to work and these files aren't going to play back in any way, shape or form. So that was one of those things is like, okay, I'm going to back up and wait for a second and, and kind of let somebody else. I, it, it's, it's one of the rare times in my career that people didn't point to me and say, what have you done yet? <laughs> well, I did. I've done nothing. 
<laughs> I updated my uh, the iMac. I keep at the at the house and, and work off of on a pretty regular basis. But we moved recently, and I've got a much better space to work in. And the download was uh, the install went really smoothly. And so far, I've worked in Resolve, in Premiere, and Final Cut Ten. Um, Avid no, Avid has said absolutely do not update. I, I can't. I've been able to get Avid to launch, so they are really like no, 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 no. But you know, it's yeah. got some cool, some cool things. It does some. I know there's a lot more, and I don't dig super deep into the the super nerdy tech stuff of that because there was like a couple of reviews I clicked onto to try to read a little bit about for updated. Was just <laughs> they were huge. They were long. It was just like page after page after page, and my eyes glossed over. But a couple of things I've that was mentioned was new security stuff. So you've got a lot more. Um, I've seen a lot more things where I've got. Um, you know, the apps have to verify, you know, through the uh, security stuff before they open and, and, you know, some folders aren't writable anymore. And they're, and you got to like approve, like, can, can, um, you know, the brave browser access the documents folder. It's like, yes, as I hit download, it can, or your downloads folder. So there, there's a lot more, um, security built into the thing, which is probably not bad. You know, we've got, um, we've got the good, uh, it's, it's, it's a flashback to the old windows days. <laughs> uh, it, it kind of does, does seem like it. Um, the, I like the, uh, the sidecar thing that lets you use your iPad as a, uh, as another screen. And that's pretty, I, I've, tr I've used it wirelessly and then you just click it on and, and, and on it goes. That's a really nice little, uh, feature that, um, we had in, uh, what was the app? Duet, duet display. Duet, that you, duet you, displays. Yes. Which is a great little tool. Uh, one thing I did notice right. in, in with with the sidecar is that in Premiere I could not get through sidecar for it to use the iPad as a full screen, you know, like send it out to um, you know through the through the right. uh, Mercury playback engine. So I guess there's that's maybe asking too much of it. But um, uh, yeah, I've I've heard that's going to come in fourteen in Premiere fourteen. It's you know so, other than that it's 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 worked it's, pretty well. I don't. I don't think there's any other. I haven't really seen any other weirdness with uh, with the update. I mean, it, um... well, there are a lot of files that I work with that aren't compatible with it. Um, you know, phantom files, those kind of things that are not seen by the OS, and that becomes an issue with trying to do you know conversions or anything. And that was one of the problems that I ran into early on when I started looking at it was that a lot of the formats I work with and their native aspects weren't uh, transferable to. You know, I couldn't hit the space bar and get it to pop up and play in, in quick view. Those kind of things where you want to look at something in, in quick view, you just get an icon. Yeah. And where, I, I don't know about you, but I still have a large amount of stuff where I, I preview kind of in, you know, the icon or the gallery view where I want to find something and mm. grab it. Not being able to see individual video files of certain types was kind of annoying. Yeah. Well, this uh, this is the end of any of your 32-bit applications will not run at all. They just get the little uh, little slash through the through the icon and QuickTime Seven Player, dead and gone. Um, quick the quick the old the new QuickTime Player got a few updates, um, I think. So it's getting it's getting a little bit of love there. But you know, it's definitely um, for the Mac world that was a big it's big news. And you know, as always, what's the the thing you have to say is you know. Don't update the middle of projects. Hold off until, you know, the next, you know, the, the <laughs> a point release and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that is good advice, but I, I you know, I guess I'm a glutton. Oh, yeah, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and I, I, I would never up tell people to update. And I keep, I mean, like my iPad and stuff stay, I, I'm in Apple's beta program for a lot of stuff. And, and it's like my phone stays on release versions, but my iPads are both running different versions of the betas. So I find it, I, I get to play with the toys a lot. 
So it allows me to it allows me to explore things before people get a chance to. Uh, well, speaking of playing with toys, you were able to check out the uh, Ultra Studio 4K Mini from Mr. Uh, I was say wow. Mr. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Petty, Mr. Grant, uh, Black Petty. Magic. Yeah. Which is, so that's looking at that box on the shelf at NAB. Um, it's cool. It's small. It's got the little display, which is their thing. What? What? What's your? Uh, give us the. Well, the, 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 I had a couple of complaints about it. One of them, mini is not what I would call it. Small, yes, but it's not mini. Not when you're. Is it more mini old, than like, some of their other stuff, though? Like, is that why they? Well, yeah, it's like a quarter of the size of the Ultra Studio desktop unit, but but compared to the old um, Ultra Studio minis, which were you know slightly larger than a box, you know, a thing of playing cards, it's quite large. So it's one of those things that you, it has more functionality and it's bigger, um, but it kind of blew me away. I have to be honest. The fact that it has analog in and, and, and both as video and audio, the ability to have an SD card reader on the front of it, you know, an XLR mic port, an XLR mic port on the front to be able to, you know, actually plug in a mic and do voiceovers or scratch tracks or anything else is pretty fascinating when you think about that in a modern society and not being forced to go to a USB microphone. Mm -hmm. Here, I can use my real, my Neumann or, or, you know, my Sennheisers or my Shure mics by just plugging them straight into the front of it to do a scratch track of voiceover or podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I, did, um, I may have to buy one. It's, um, what's, I, what's the price I, I, on it? Do you remember? It's nine ninety nine. Yeah, it's it's under a thousand dollars. So it's 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 a little bit more than what people might think it is. But the power of it was just incredible. I mean, it does everything from standard definition and PAL to four K DCI. You know, forty ninety six by twenty one sixty at sixty frames a second in HDR. Um, the power of the unit was impressive to say the least, and it, and the functionality on Mac and Windows was universal. That was the surprise to me because a lot of times a device that's designed for a Mac-based workflow doesn't necessarily work the same in Windows, mm -hmm. particularly in when you're talking about post-production software mm -hmm. and hardware and, and that. But the, the fact that I could plug it into my Mac and get the same functionality and then switch over to my Windows box and get that also was kind of studying that. The other surprise to me was the USB-C plug. Now, it's a Thunderbolt 3 device, so it uses USB-C. Yeah, I was going to ask about but, that because looking at the image of the back, you have one Thunderbolt 3 and one USB-C. So, yeah, uh, USB-C is for devices. So you can have, you can write files to it. You can pull lots off. You can use it for other things. So, so they, they allowed that not as a pass-through, but as a secondary port that you could access and bring data in on. So that became really interesting to be able to have, you know, the USB-C output on the back of it to give me a little something so I could, you know, write to an SD card, you know, mm -hmm. write not right to the SD card in the front, but I could write to a drive externally for transport. I could copy down my files and be able to do that. That's actually really important. And it became interesting for me because I used it on set one day and you know was able to transcode my my dailies, direct out the USB-C port um, to you know a LC hard drive. So I was able to use a hard drive on the back side of that. Well, the, now the device is an endpoint on Thunderbolt. This is a big, um, issue for a lot of people because they think that a thunderbolt should pass through mm -hmm. but if you're putting display video content out it should always be the last point on the chain okay so black magic stayed with that by not putting um pass through on the thunderbolt side did, it, did, it forces did, the device to hold that in some of these thunderbolt based video ios in years past have they had p pass through 
on the Thunderbolt port? Um, Black Magic doesn't. Others do. Okay. But you're saying now with this one, you can plug uh, your Thunderbolt into your Thunderbolt Mac and then into that USB-C port. It is writable. In, 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 into the Thunderbolt port controls the device. Yep. The USB-C port is just USB 3.1. Mm-hmm. So it's, but it allows you to write in and out over that. Yes. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. That's that does open up a lot of. Uh, it's an accessory port. It's yeah. designed as an accessory port. Well, and the other thing about it is that there's also a remote control on it. I mean, there's a there's a you know a standard RS four two two RS three two three control port. So if you're working to control decks and you need to actually work on a deck, it can do that. Um, granted, it's only a digital output. Mm-hmm. It's analog in, but it's only digital out. The other thing I thought was kind of weird is it only has one SDI, one channel of SDI, in. I would have liked to have seen two channels of SDI in. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, there are some camera manufacturers that still aren't doing 12G for their data throughput. And they still have to do two wire um, six gig to be able to output Canon's perfect example. Um, that that was one of the issues I had with it. Um, doesn't come with a power plug. I mean, it doesn't come with, doesn't come with a standard Edison style you know, AC plug. And that's because there's so many environments that that's gonna go into and because Blackmagic ships products worldwide that mm-hmm. they chose not to include the wall work to go with it i understand the reasoning for it you so know, wait, just, so I is there like no there's no power people. cable at all or there's no no none no power cable at all interesting i mean looking at the back with the little three-prong thing i'm not sure what you call that but most people have those lying around yeah, but it's, it's an and yeah it's got a code number i can never remember unless i look it up but that's that is good to good to note because i'm sure that's probably in the review because like if you the, open it out is, the box yeah. and you're like what the hell i can't even plug this thing in but well there's no thunderbolt cable either and that's actually i think going to be a bigger problem for them and i actually uh. brought that up to them privately that i i think the not including um a certified thunderbolt cable for the unit could cause some issues down the road because i actually had thunderbolt problems um i'm one of these guys who buy thunderbolt cables in case lots I mean, I literally buy hundreds of them at a time, it mm-hmm. seems like. Um, and I had an issue on the Mac when I first started talking. Like, okay, it's not doing what I want it to. Nothing's going through right. There's problems with this. What's wrong? Plug it into the Windows and it used a different cable. Everything was fine. Like, okay, this can't be this. You know, it's like, okay, back to a different Mac. It worked fine. But one Mac I was having in Premiere specifically, it just it was just fighting and it wouldn't work. I said, okay, I've got I've got an optical Thunderbolt for three cable. I'm going to try it. So I grabbed a, a, a prototype uh, Thunder Corning optical Thunderbolt three cable that I have. It's five meters long, 15 feet. Plugged it in, no problem whatsoever. Like, hmm. Then I decided to test all my cables just to be sure. Now this was a brand new tear out of the package cable, and it was defective. Oh wow! And then I tested 20 more cables in that batch, and 10 of them were defective. Out of one batch of brand new cables. Now, I'm like everybody else. If I get something new in the box, I don't expect it to fail. Uh, no. And, and and especially when it's a partial fail. It's still kind of working, but there's enough interference that it slows down the throughput. And, and, and it, literally what was happening is is that one of the pieces of copper in this in the short cable and active cables have, have copper wiring to carry power. One of the cables, one of the um, wires had shorted and was actually causing the Thunderbolt connection to heat up and the thermal properties were, the thermal property of the short was limiting the throughput because of the way the Thunderbolt protocol works. Wow. I mean, and then how do you determine that? 
I, that happened. I'm lucky, and I'm 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 geeky enough in the Thunderbolt world to have a cable tester. Oh well, so, I don't. Does Does Harbor Freight have those? Can I pick one no. of those up? Okay. No, I, I so. had to, I, I I got it from uh, uh, one of my clients who loaned it to me for that purpose because yeah. I test because I test Thunderbolt a lot. I was able to use this to be able to determine the cables were bad. You uh, with this Blackmagic uh, device, you you said you tested on your Mac and PC, so you actually ran through quite a few different pieces of software to check compatibility. I tested and it in Premiere, Resolve, After Effects. Um, Final Cut Pro, LiveGrade Studio. Um, I, I, I touched a lot of applications to see whether it worked. And, and with Premiere and Resolve, I could go back and forth between Mac and Windows. So I saw any issues there might be between that. And that was that's one of the things I, I really give Blackmagic credit. It, it, it really was seamless with it. And with Resolve, you plug it in, it just worked. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to, you know, Resolve and Fusion, it didn't have to do anything. A Final Cut was the same way. I had to go in and turn on one checkbox. Premiere, Adobe likes to have a lot of you know buttons everywhere, and and you had to build, you had to set the configuration in each individual Adobe application. But once it was, once I had had that figured out and checked every box in the three locations, I have to turn things on. Yeah, it worked fine. You know. Uh... Mercury Transmit in the premier After Effects Adobe world, when it came out, it was great because it finally gave us somewhat reliable video out of the software through hardware. But it's like many things in Premiere especially, it gets made and put in the software and then it just sits there. Like it never gets, it, they never work on it and try to make it better. It's just as good as it is and nothing more. And then Mercury Transmit is one of those things that I think yeah. could get a little bit of a little bit of love. Um, it, speaking it of sure a, speaking of Adobe, we'll hit one last topic here before we wrap up. Uh, let's see. Uh, let me find the headline there. Adobe cancels all user accounts in Venezuela to comply with uh, White House orders. I mean, that's not a small. I mean, Venezuela's. I don't know how many users they have in Venezuela, but I have to guess a lot. Enough, enough for them to make a public announcement about it. How different is that than Apple taking the the court's version of the news app out of the store in China? Oh, I mean, I've, both yeah. of those are very scary. Yeah, that's um, it is. You know, I guess in the case of the uh, the Venezuela thing, that's you know, the U.S. saying to Adobe, "Hey, you must do this." Whereas in the case of Apple's thing pulling those apps, it's like China saying, but "Hey, China's you must doing do this." It, but yeah, it's still a government a government predicting or telling people what you can and can't do. Well, I haven't studied the Venezuela thing a whole lot, other than just to see that I don't. I think uh, Adobe's the only one so far that's that has gone this gone this far. I, has, has anybody else? There's restrictions on things outside of our industry, but that's the first I know of in our industry. Hmm. Um, one of the first things they restricted was pilot software, you know, sil- oh. software that's used for for uh, in commercial aircraft. Well, that's important so. stuff to have. That's probably more important than having Photoshop, to be quite <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. To those that uh, to those that need it, um, I didn't know if it was something more. If you're subscription based, then you have to do different things, and if you're just selling a serial number. But, you know, I, I guess if you own the serial number, the software runs, there you go. But, um, you know, when you maintain servers and you're, and you're crossing, you know, across the, um, the pipes under the well, ocean. That's, that's as much the issue of, of the, uh, the Chrome bug that took out a third of Hollywood. Oh, yeah. We had a good talk about that last week on our... Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's not any different than that. It's like you don't think about where everything's always interconnected and how the communication of the server is required for things. And, you know, that's, that's part of this cloud-based world we live in. Yeah. 
and the security involved in it that we were talking about previously on Catalina, but those are issues that, that are going to reoccur and become much more common as we move to a more and more cloud-based society. Well, it goes to show you that we're uh, walking on some fragile eggshells sometimes. So I say we, there are those who are, you know, Venezuelans are a prime example of that. I mean, you, you can imagine if you're a facility or just a, you know, graphic design company that's built around the, 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 the Adobe world. I mean, that's a pretty big, um, that's a pretty well, big but it also thing. Affected, it also affected people who bought the software when they lived in Venezuela and then moved to other countries. Mm -hmm. it, shut down, it shut down people in all across Latin America. I mean, I was talking to somebody at, at a film studio in Colombia, in Bogota, that had had issues because a number of their students had come from Venezuela for classes and all of a sudden their software didn't work. Oh, wow. That's um... because it was bought in Venezuela, not because it was being used in Colombia. Yeah. So. Uh, OK, speaking of shutting down, good segue. This will be the last topic is. Um, in Alton, California, they're having rolling blackouts. Now, you heard there were quite a few uh, major companies in our space that were shut down for a few days, right? It, it, it sure seems like it. Um, I haven't gotten confirmation, but I mean, I know that there are a number of people in Grass Valley, which is where, you know, Thompson, the Grass Valley Group is, AJA, Telestream are all up there. There's a lot of companies that are in the Bay Valley, but I know people in Sunnyvale and Burlingame and, you know, the south side of the Bay that are that don't are without power right yeah. now. And that becomes an interesting thing when you start thinking about how does it hit medical services, phone services, oh, you know, all of those other kind of things. And what that means as, as we start going forward, as infrastructure becomes more and more um, antiquated, in, in our in particularly in the United States is this antiquated nature of our infrastructure as that stays that way we're going to see more of these and more weather related issues as climate change becomes more a bigger effect on the entire world I mean you look at the floods look at the rain look at what's going on yeah. around the world you look at weather as it is and how that's going to affect us with just being able to supply get you know, power, internet, those kind of things in real time. Well, those fires were so huge. Was it was it last year? Uh, and, and well, they've been huge for the last few years, I think. And I can't kind of get the poor power company there in a, between a rock and a hard place with lawsuits and wanting to keep people keep people safe. But you know, you go without power for any small length of time, and you realize how important that is. I saw a number of tweets and Facebook comments about freelancers and you know people we both know who were like, "Well, I'm you know I'm down for the day because I have no power and and it's uh, I just think it's you never would have expected it to happen. But well, and it also, you know, when you talk about a company like PG and A Pacific Gas and Electric, um, that's the major power supplier in the United States. Um, and you realize that you're talking about millions of customers that are going to be out with, without power because they are still recovering from the fires last year and a lot of the infrastructure and that they spent more time dealing with profits than they did rebuilding their existing power oh, grid. Yes. Now, all of a sudden, we have an issue. The chickens are coming home to roost, as they say, down in the south. Well, it gives, gives you a reason to start thinking about, you know, alternate power supplies, power sources for your own facilities. Yep. You start talking about solar and, and, you know, Tesla batteries and other kinds of things that are available. You start having to think about those kinds of power redundancies. Um, I live on location a lot of times, so I am always have power redundancy. I've got backup batteries and UPSs on UPSs to be able to handle those things. Mm -hmm. But now when you start talking about house or facility size, power backup and generators. It becomes a totally yeah. different discussion. Well, I wish our uh, friends out there well. Hopefully they'll come through the fire season with uh, no, with nothing happening. That's um, 
and I, if something does happen, let's hope it stays small as well. Yeah, because um, after the fires come the mudslides. <laughs> oh man, it's yeah, it's it, it's uh, you know we all have our natural disasters that something, but th- those are those are bad and frequent. So we'll, we wish. Yeah, I only have to deal with snow, so we, it's like <laughs> we have tornadoes and storms. So those are those yeah, are not, we have tornadoes. But I'm close enough to I, I live in downtown Chicago, so I'm shielded by the lake. There's <laughs> tornadoes don't hit in the city itself where I live, so I don't have to worry about that. I just have to worry about not being able to you know get to my car for three days because there's two feet of snow, three feet of snow in the ground. Yep. That, that, it causes its own problems. That's for sure. <laughs> hey Gary, thanks for uh, joining me here on the second, uh, second week of our little uh, PVC news um, weekly wrap up and see what's going on. Thanks for the chat. And Thank are you, you, Scott. Are really you appreciate at it. NAB New York next week? Uh, I'm not going to be in NAB New York because I'm actually starting a project on Monday. That's going to take my time for about the next six weeks. So um, I went to Cine Gear to, so I didn't have to go to NAB New York. There you go. I'll be there. I'll let you know how it how it goes, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me, Scott. It's been real fun to be here, and you can find us online at pvc.com. Talk to you soon. <laughs>